Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. Today I'm going to talk about giving your soul a lift, a soul lift. We need a soul lift, all right? And this message is going to be somewhat of a continuation from last week. Last week I talked about scattered, being scattered in the wilderness. I don't want anybody to be scattered in the wilderness. I know from the Bible that you could be under the cloud of God's presence. You can drink from the spiritual rock, which is Christ. You can eat from the spiritual bread, which is Christ. You can encounter his presence. You can be touched for a moment. You can worship God mightily. You can keep coming here and all of us eat and drink from the same rock and the same cloud and the same food. And yet you can still die. And that was my message last week, is I don't want anybody to die. There, were, there was, I don't know, about 30,000 people that were scattered in the wilderness. And then ultimately, everyone over 20 didn't even make it into the promised land. Yet God was with them. And so we can experience the presence of God and have supernatural encounters and yet still be scattered in the wilderness. Now, scattered doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to prematurely die a physical death, though that could be. It can mean a spiritual death. It can mean being scattered in your head. I call it head noise, confusion, depression, anxiety, worry, doubt, disbelief, uncertainty, wanting to give up, hopelessness, your spirit failing, feeling like you want to give up, saying, what's the point? Why am I doing what I'm doing? God's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, right? And so this is a battle that I've battled my whole life, and I continue to battle, and I don't think it's a battle that ever goes away. Why? Because number one, we have an old nature that always wants to rear its ugly head. And if you don't sow to the spirit, then that fleshly nature is going to rise up. Second of all, you have an enemy, a very real lying, deceitful accuser, or the Bible calls him a destroyer that comes in on top of that and kicks you while you're down. Or just keeps kicking you until you get down. Then he kicks you a little harder. Right? And there's all kinds of reasons why in your soul realm you can get disquieted where you can be discontent, dissatisfied, and start complaining. So in Numbers 21, the Israelites were just a few days past Sinai, and they start complaining to Moses about the wilderness. We're all in a wilderness right now. Now, you may not as much be in a personal wilderness season. Like maybe things are going really great for you. Maybe your life has really turned a corner, and I love that. I got several text messages today from people that said, my life has changed so much by coming to Rock City. Thank you for all that you've done, right? And things are blooming and blossoming. But even if my own life is blooming and blossoming, I know in a world around me there's a wilderness. I feel like our nation is in a wilderness. I see families in a wilderness, marriages on the rocks, people sick and dying. Struggles, challenges, negative news everywhere. And so this wilderness thing is something that comes against all of us even when we're in the cloud of God's presence. It's the valley. Your life is changed in the valley, not the mountaintop. The mountaintop is the icing. The cake comes from character development in the midst of suffering and hardship and laying your life down. But the problem is, is so many of us have forgotten what the gospel really is. So we define success based on the way the world defines success. 
And all of us, if we're not careful, will worship a golden calf and not even know it. That was last week's message. There's a golden calf in the wilderness today. And it's in front of all of us. And it's big. And it's shiny. And it's pretty. And it's alluring. And it wants your value, your time, and your attention. And will cause you to miss the essence of why Jesus died on the cross and who you're really supposed to become. That golden calf is the spirit of this age. It's the world system. And if you're not careful, you're going to define and measure everything based on what the world says. The ease of access with phones today and the technology can either be an incredibly wondrous thing to bring the knowledge and the glory of the Lord all over the world, or it can be a destructive, deadly viper snake in your hand. Am I right? Okay. And so in Numbers 21... Moses was leading the Israelites the long way. Everybody say the long way. The long way. Does anybody feel like you're in the long way? Okay. And so what happened when they were in the long way? They went, Moses led them around the land of Edom. Why? Well, testing, trusting what they would have faced in that land could have killed them. So God knew what was best. But what happened was the Israelites, the Bible says in Numbers 21... They became discouraged in their soul. Now, what is your soul? Your soul is the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that seat is your heart. That's why you ever heard, uh, heard the saying or said the saying, well, just trust your heart. Do not just trust your heart. <laughs> the heart is deceitfully wicked. Yeah. Now, what you're really probably trying to say, hopefully, is go with your spiritual instinct, not even your gut instinct. It's got to be a God-knower, and it has to be rooted and founded on God's truth. That's why God gives you a new heart, because the old one was corrupt. But that old one still is in the process of transformation. So you have to keep killing it repeatedly and listen to God's heart and let him put his heart inside of you. And it's a daily thing. Salvation or becoming new is a constant process of renewal. It's not a one-time thing. But many of us stop somewhere along the way. And we just get stuck. There's no more new. There's no renewing. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons of why you can lose hope. There's a lot of reasons why you can get disquieted in your soul. And that's an everyday fight. And so today what I want to do is I want to help you have a soul lift and maintain a soul lift. And when your soul is down, for whatever reason, how to get out of it and stay out of it. Yes. So that every day, You'll continue to grow in renewal and not shrink back, give up, throw in the towel, and say it's pointless, like some of you have been saying. Yeah. Or how about this? Maybe not saying it, but you're hearing it. Yeah. I know the devil's lies really, 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 really well. You know why? Because I feel like I'm lied to all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Ta-da. That's, that's, that's what happens. But see, over years and a period of time of overcoming and shortcomings and failures and the goodness of God and seeing his hand always come through no matter what, I have learned how to fight against them. And it's a daily fight. Everybody say it's a daily fight. It's, a daily fight. it's called fight the good fight. Yes. 
Yeah, let's say that. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. It's called a good fight, but sometimes it doesn't feel like a good fight. Sometimes I feel like I'm failing. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing. Sometimes I feel like it's, I'm not going to win. Sometimes I want to give up. Sometimes I'm in shame, victim mentality, doubt, depression, fear, and I just say it's, I just want to quit. Does anybody ever feel that way? So today, I'm going to show you how those feelings and even those thoughts can be normal. But what you do with them can either be normal or not normal. What it leads you to. See, remember when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai and Moses goes up to the mountain. And after, I don't know how many days it was. We know he was there 40 days. But at some point along the way, the Israelites say to themselves, he's delayed in coming. There's a delay. Everybody say there's a delay. And then they said, we don't even know if he's coming back or where he's at. That's what we say about God. We say that about God. God is delayed. We're going the long way. He, I don't even know if he's going to come back or do what he said he would do. And then you jump to Numbers 21 and they say, this bread is worthless. So what do we do? We sit down, just like the Israelites did, to eat. We lay out a smorgasbord. Debauchery, here I come. Because I'm not finding pleasure in God. I don't even know where he's at or if he's coming back. See, remember, God grew a garden. What was that garden called? Eden. What does Eden mean? So God says, look, I'm going to put you, this was God's original design. I'm going to put you in a place of pleasure and delight. Now I want you to take care of my pleasure and delight. And oh, by the way, there's a serpent in there. But I'm going to walk with you. Just don't listen to the lies and don't eat from that one tree. But today, that same principle applies to us all. That's why pornography is so destructive. It's so destructive because today, any teenager, and I'm finding more and more stories of teenagers hooked on porn, if you don't have a, some sort of guard on this phone, and Apple doesn't even actually allow you to put a safeguard. It just lets you get a report. Okay? Yeah. Like Covenant Eyes, Triple X Church, don't work on, they, they, they'll still report, but anybody can get around it. With the ease of an access with a phone, anybody has access to anything at any time. If you are not getting pleasure and delight in the Lord, you will look for pleasure and delight elsewhere. Now, let me say something to you. Maybe you, pornography has never been an issue for you. Maybe alcohol, spinning out, drugs, nah, not an issue. No, that's not an issue. There's people in this sanctuary right now that you're not doing those things, but you'll find it somewhere else. You'll do it in a different way. You don't get a pass just because you think you're good. Because you know what you'll do? You're going to find it in value. Because right now the world values you even more so with social media and technology, you're valued based on how people think you look, how many likes you get, how many followers you have, how significant you are. You, if you don't find your value and pleasure first in him, you will look for value and pleasure elsewhere. But we've had this discussion a lot. It doesn't matter what you do, even if it's in God's name and a noble thing, God will thwart you. You know why? Because if you're finding value, I'm going to say it again. If you find significance 
based on the way that the world finds significance, you've lost sight of the gospel. And this is even a big problem in Christendom. This is a problem with comparison in Christendom. And now I get to compare a lot easier. You know why? Because I see all those pastors in this city that everybody's vying for people and they want to be more significant, more realm with the latest, greatest word, thought, teaching, the newest this, the fastest that, the greatest this. And God says, that's everything contrary to what I did and who I am. Yes. If I have to fight to get you to be here, I'll have to fight to keep you. And I don't want to fight for anybody in that context. Do you understand? Because God's building a model in a family. And so the challenge is, is there's all these things that you can do and see and find value and pleasure and comfort in that are going to rob you of your joy and your peace and your confidence. All kinds of things. And so for me, every day, I have to wrestle. And all my whole life, I've had to wrestle. And there's a lot of things that can cause my soul to be disquieted. But today, we're going to talk about what happens when you are a mess in your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you want to give up. You want to quit, or the lies, or the fears, or the anxiety, or the depression. Head noise. You know what the word clamor means? I feel like I got a clamor a lot of times in my head. The word clamor means a loud and confusing noise that is constant. Anybody feel that right here? Well, guess what? You're in the right place because God's got answers. Now, there's going to be a re- an action that's required for all of us. But I'm going to show you from the Bible where the psalmist, not just David, not just Asaph or the sons of Korah, it's a repeated theme in the Bible. I don't have time to show it all to you. But if you don't learn these things from the Bible, you will succumb to the lies of the enemy or your own soul. See, I think your greatest enemy is yourself. The devil's already been defeated. Yes. It's me I got to defeat. Am I right? Come on. So how do, how do I get defeated? I got to hang on a cross. But see, we don't want to go to the cross because the cross requires total death. And in the, in the process of total death, that means all your dreams, all your visions, everything you've ever wanted to do, even things you are sure are promises from God, all your status, your validity, your notoriety. Uh, fill in the blank. All your hurt. Everything's got to die. But there's always a resurrection. But what is resurrected? It's the new and better version of you. Yes. We just got to die first. There's no dying because the world is everything opposite of death. Yes. So let's take a look at, well, let me remind you about this. When God leads you through the long way in the wilderness, the natural tendency is to complain, want to give up, and get discouraged in your soul. Yes. But God will always lead you the long way until you stop getting discouraged. Listen, let me just tell you right now. If you don't figure this out, you're going to constantly live in a world of Christian spiritual frustration. Here's your scripture. I suggest you tattoo this scripture on your rear end. No, your heart. Your heart. Not your rear end. Okay, I'm not ready. Yeah, you're not ready. Here's the scripture, okay? This isn't in my notes, so we're just going with the flow. Thank God I get two chances on a Sunday. It's 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Let's say that. Godliness plus contentment equals See, but first is godliness. Without godliness, there's, you'll never be content. And what happens is, is we get discontent. 
That's what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness three times. At Mount Sinai, so they, they sat down, ate, drank, and rose up to have an orgy. That's what that means, by the way. It was a full-scale debauchery. And by the way, while we're do, doing all that, let's get a golden calf up. Then they're in the wilderness just a few days after Sinai. Cloud, fire, thunder, promises. God had done so much for them. Water, food, all kinds of things. And they said, man, we're going to die here. It'd be better for us to go back to Egypt. And the natural tendency, when God's taking you the long way, you're in the wilderness, think, man, take me back to Egypt. I didn't have any plagues. I was high as a kite. I got to drink. I got to party. I got to do whatever I wanted. And I never was convicted. I was never convicted. Am I right? You said, oh, to your song is, oh, take me back. That's, that's your weeping morning song. Take me back, God. I was better there. And then some of us are like, well, I'm just going to go back for a night. And then you realize it's destructive. You can never go back. Say, I can never go back. Oh, you can't go back. Let me say this. I'm just going to get on this right now. If you shack up, you crack up. I'm going to say it a thousand times. Now, I'll marry you if you're shacking up. If it's God's design, I don't tell people just because you're pregnant or you're sleeping together that you should get married. That'd be the dumbest thing. But what I will say to you is if you love each other and you've been together for a while, if you keep shacking up, you are going to crack up. Mark my words. You don't break God's laws. They break you. So I care about you. Stop shacking up. Because it's, here's the deeper root of it. It's covenant breaking. And when you break covenant, you can't expect the covenant promises. You can still eat and drink from the cloud while you're getting slaughtered in the wilderness. Yes. Now, I love you. Get it. Yes. Not beating you over the head with the Bible. Keep your zipper up and do the right thing. Yeah. You can do it. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm looking around somewhere in here. I'm going to say it. I'm going to keep beating this thing. When you don't have your pleasure and delight in the things of God, see, if if you're single, you can really get discouraged in your soul. Because it's not good for man to be alone. Unless you're a teenager. Then it's good for you to be alone. (laughs) Am I right? Let's just change the scripture for a teenager. It is not, it is good for a teenager to be alone right now. But the, des- the, the design of God is always unity and covenant. And the fact that no matter how hard it is, I'm way better with my wife than without her. But if you're single, the Bible says you're fully devoted to the Lord and he becomes your first love. Now, the great news is, is you have the spirit in God's presence, so you're never really fully alone. But God still, I believe, desires marriage and family. Between a man and a woman, by the way, so that you know. Now, if you're single, it can be really frustrating because you're standing on a delayed promise. And the Bible says when a promise is delayed, it makes the heart heart sick. But when it comes, it's a tree of life. So the challenge is, is in the delayed promise, you're not seeing the tree of life. So you're sick. You know what happens when you get sick? Uh, don't, don't look at my phone. <sighs> oh, dating site, Tinder. Oh, do I even need to get on the Tinder box? Some of y'all on TikTok showing your stuff. You need a tick knot. Tick knot is what you need to do. 
<laughs> we need to start a new one. Tick not. So God has an answer for every situation. You just have to say yes and don't give up. Have a yes in your heart and don't give up. I'm not beating you up. Keep coming back. I don't care how hard, how difficult, how pointless you think it is. God's building a family and a modern model and we're better together than separate. Yes. Let's say that. We're better together, we're better together. than separate. Yes. That's the word synergy. The two are better than, the sum of the two is better than the sum of the one. Now the sum of the 100, 200, 300, 500. And I may not know exactly what God wants to do on, a, on the full picture, but I get glimpses. Like Amber has a burning passion to rescue children out of foster care. There are teenagers living in hotels. Not even teenagers, chill, little children. Right now. The system is broke. CPS is broke. Mental health, the mental health system broke. So what are you going to do about it? If you flame on, you flame on for a purpose. God always leads you into something. But that something together is better than by yourself. So I don't know what it is. But I know I'm going to say yes to it. We have an opportunity that's come along to buy, potentially buy some land here in the bluff. And we would love to do a transition home or a rescue home for foster children or single moms or whatever it is. And at the same time, I know God wants us to build out this sanctuary. I know he does. More people, more resources, greater army, and a greater ability to affect and transform a city. Amen. Otherwise, it's me, myself, and I, and I don't need you. And just, I can be somewhat affected by myself, and then I discount the church. Yeah. Now, so I'm not building it for more money. I'm, I'm building it to make a greater impact and change on this community and the world around us. Because yeah. I, I might get somebody's attention with 10, 15 people. But let me tell you what all politicians want. Money and votes. Yep. And let me tell you what all politicians need. Jesus. Right. And, and landowners. Amen. So God has us in this process of walking through the wilderness. Sometimes it's the long way. Why hasn't pastor promoted me yet? How come pastor hasn't seen me yet? How come I haven't been recognized yet? Why haven't they... Don't they see the need? And the answer is yes. I don't want a kumbaya, introverted church. We'll become a bunch of midgets. Seriously. And that's not what I want. But if you don't see the vision and understand that in the midst of the process, there's a bombardment of the enemy. Marriage can be hard. Job's tough. Finance is tough. World tough. Comparing myself to the world makes it even harder. Finding my value in the midst of a crazy world makes it even harder. Because the world says you're valued based on what's your career. What do you do? How much money do you make? Are you successful? Do you have a home? How do you look? Are you overweight or underweight? Gym, no gym. Whatever it is. So let's look at Psalm 42 verse 5. Everything starts with a question. Let's say that. Everything starts with a question. I'm having you say that because when you say it, it gets inside of you. Why? Now, let me say something about why. The devil always puts a question mark where God puts a period. Sometimes the why leads you to doubt and disbelief, but sometimes the why gives you an answer. 
I've always learned to ask questions. Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Because I know my feelings can be extremely deceptive. My wife and I are completely different. I'm a high feeler. But many times, if not most of the time, my feelings and my emotions are lying to me. And I want to know why. Why do I feel like a failure sometimes? Why do I feel like giving up? Why do I feel like I'm not good enough sometimes? Now, I know a lot of those answers come from neglect in my childhood. I know that when my blood father left me and my 24-year-old Greek mother in Miami, Florida and hightailed it to California, and my, my Greek mother worked two jobs and left me at a very spiteful and neglect, neglectful babysitter who was in real poverty every day for many years, it produced something inside of me at a young age that caused me to feel neglected or abandoned or not good enough or I need to, this is my personal struggle. Now this going apply to a lot of you, but maybe not every one of you. But I guarantee you, every one of you has something somewhere from your childhood or your parents or your upbringing or a church hurt or experience or a girlfriend or boyfriend or something that happened in your past somewhere that stuck a knife right inside your soul. Yes. Anybody? Yes. Okay. And so for me, I have to really question and ask Lord, I'm not questioning God, per se, but God can, even hand, God can handle that. 32 of the Psalms are open complaints to God, just complaining. And many times the psalmist was not in his right mind. Many times Solomon was not in his right mind. Yet God still put it inside the word so you could see the humanity aspect of it compared to the goodness of God aspect of it. Do you understand that? Even the psalmist in Psalm 73 said, this is a waste of time throwing the towel. Look at the world. They don't suffer the way that I suffer. They have everything they could ever ask for. And they wear pride as a necklace. And they even say that they know God. And I'm so confused. See, because the challenge is, is we often equate God's success based on money and stuff. And I'm telling you right now, you can have way less than and be way more successful. Because yes. God doesn't define success based on all the money and stuff you have. Because look at Jesus. She caught our boss. We're going to slay some golden calves today. So why? Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. So the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. The word cast down means to sink down into depression and despair. I'm in depression. I'm in despair. And I'm at such a low. I'm really low today. Why am I in depression? And I'm going to paraphrase this. That's what cast down means. Why are you depressed? Why are you sunk low? Why do you feel so weak? Why are you so downcast? Then you have another word here. It says, why are you disquiet? Another question. Why are you disquiet? So the writer of this psalm is speaking to his soul. And he says, why are you disquieted? The word disquieted means I have a rage going on on the inside. A rage or a war within. It means to be greatly troubled and in mourning. And it means I have the sound of constant clamor inside my head. It's confusing, it's loud, it's bombarding me, and it never seems to stop. Anybody? Anybody? That's why we have answers in God's word. That's why you're a Christian. 
Because that struggle is not any different. I just tell on myself a lot so you don't feel like it's you and you alone and I'm the high and mighty spiritual guy. Make sure you understand I'm not more highly favored. I'm not more highly anointed. I put my pants on the same way you do. I just made a decision to say yes and pay the price and never give up. And even if I fell 700,000 times, I picked myself back up. Because God looks for hearts after him, whether you were fell into adultery or sin or whatever it is. God says, I'll deal with that, but I'm looking for a man and a woman whose heart is after me. Not after the next hookup. Or pleasure. Or job. Or money. Or anything this world has to offer. Never lose sight of what the real gospel is. What is real Christianity? And it's not the way that the world paints it. So the psalmist gives first answer. Answer number one. Hope in God. Answer number two. Yet praise him. And answer number three, get the help of his countenance. Those are three very important answers to the question, why? But before I go into that, I want to hit this thing of why would your soul be in that state? Why would our souls be disquieted, downcast, depressed, confusion, clamor? Why? We have the answers of what to do. But I want to hit the thing why. First off, sin and the resulting confusion that comes from sin. Now, I'm not talking about I screwed up or I messed up. I'm not talking about that. Because everybody in this room is going to screw up or mess up somewhere, somehow. I just pray that your mess up's not a train wreck like it used to be. Okay? But understand this. Sin and confusion are sisters. They're sisters. And then the brother is depression. It always plays a part in mental confusion. Always. But here's the thing. The gospel remedies that. God doesn't want you in confusion. Even if you sin. Sin's not the primary cause. It's the result of the sin. Which is victim mentalities, shame, confusion, and wanting to throw in the towel. Now sin can come in a lot of different shapes or forms. The Bible says anything that's not of faith is of sin. So you may not be willfully or knowingly doing something that you know is a sin. But if you're not walking in complete trust and faith in God, it's a sin. So God wants complete and total trust and faith in God. But what he really wants you to do is not fall into shame, victim mentality, and accusation or condemnation. So I sin. I know there's things I'm like, man, I should have never said that. I should have never thought that. Man, I did, shouldn't have done that. But instead of me falling into, man, a pity party and laying down and getting my butt kicked, I know what the cross did and what the gospel did, and I know the good news. The good news is, is now I'm not under the cloud of shame. I'm under a cloud of the blood. Yeah. Now, I know the gospel, and I know it from so many shortcomings and failures. But you don't have to shortcome and fail anymore. But if you do, God's always there for you. So I never walk in shame and condemnation. But what I will talk about is a practicing habitual sin. Because I know Christians that think a consistent practicing and habitual of sin that you will receive blessings from God. And you will not. Now God's patient and he's merciful and he will stick with you. But I am going to remind you that when you live in a constant practicing Outside of the design of God, what we say is when you're out of his design, you'll go out of your mind. 
So that's one very good reason why people would be disquieted in their soul. Can I get an amen? Amen. The next reason is fear. Fear is a huge one. There's people that are so subject to the fear of death their entire life. Always worrying about cancer, car accidents, their child's going to die, their prodigal's going to die, and they're living in this constant fear of death. That's why the Bible says God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he gives you a new spirit of authority and power first. Because the devil's already been defeated. Then he gives you a spirit of love and a sound mind. So God counters it with his truths, with his transformation on the inside. And he says, I don't want you to live in fear. But there's all kinds of fears. Fear of your job, fear of your money, fear fear in the world of the what ifs. What if that person doesn't ever come? What if my job doesn't change? What if I don't ever get that breakthrough? What if, and we live in all these what ifs that are robbing, stealing, and killing, and destroying us in the midst of walking through the wilderness. And that's why the Israelites said, take me back. Because it was hard. But God is always there. Even in the trying and the testing, it produces something inside of you. And it never stops. But the next reason why I would say probably most people get disquieted in their soul and downcast is delayed answers. Delayed answers. My wife and I have been fighting for a child. We had her in our home for nearly four months. We wanted to adopt and rescue this. We were the sixth family this has happened to. And we knew it the entire time that this grandmother was probably lying. But you know what? God said, do everything that you can do and trust me in the process. And the response so far has not gone the way that we thought it should. We lost a child at 32 weeks. We've been through multiple hurricanes. We battle health issues. But in the midst of all those things, instead of wanting to give up or quit, throw in the towel, or sometimes we want to, but we don't, because we understand that God is faithful, but sometimes it's the long way. And sometimes I have no hope, or I feel hopeless, or I feel faithless. We all fight this fight. But God's always looking for the response inside your heart. He's always looking, will you trust me no matter what? Let me ask you this way. Will you trust him no matter what? Oh, okay. Well, we'll see when we're going the long way. So delayed answers when things don't come. I had a teenager. She came to me when I was youth pastor. She said, I'm giving up. This is pointless, this Christianity thing. I knew it was a mistake to begin with. I'm giving up. I'm like, you just got saved. She's like, yeah, but it's been 90 days. I'm like, people come to God wanting a 90-day money-back guarantee. God, and for some of us, it's 90 days. For some of us, it's nine years. Some of us, it may be 20 years. I don't know how long it is. But when the delayed answer takes a really, 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 really long time in the mundane of life and the struggles of life. And man, I've been praying every day, but I'm not getting any answer. Will you keep praying? Okay. Okay. Now, there are times that God answers speedily, and I want to believe for the speedily. All right? I like speedily stuff. 
I'm a speed guy. I drink my coffee fast. I like to get the caffeine effect fast. I don't have time to sit around on a long, hot cup of coffee. Give me a macchiato. Let's shoot a shot and roll. That's why in my past life, I was a tequila guy. Some of you know what, I, know what I'm talking about. I just traded tequila shots for espresso shots, just so that you know. You never know what's going to come out of me on a Sunday morning. Oh, here's a really big one. Loss and death or grief. That's why this fall we're going to start a grief share class. When you lose a loved one, whew, oh man. I know, we know this. This is personal. In 2016, Four things happened. We lost our daughter. I got pneumonia three times back to back and almost died. And then my mom died. All in the period of a few months. Then the next year in 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit. Wiped out my coffee shop. I understand delayed, I'm sorry, loss and grief. I understand that. And some people never, ever, 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 ever get out of it. No, they, don't. they literally hurt their entire lives with the loss, and especially if you have regret. You didn't get to say that final goodbye. Yes. This is a real thing. Yes, but you know what? God has answers for that. Yes. Yes. God can bring healing and comfort and hope and mercy and forgiveness and cut that thing at the root. Yes. And sometimes you need help from somebody. Yes. You need somebody to love you and hold you and lead you through it and to talk to and to grieve with. Grieving is okay, but if it turns into regret, it will kill you. The Bible says worldly sorrow leads to death because it's full of regret. Yes. That's why you have to stop living in regret. You can't change it or fix it. You can only heal it. Yes. But that thing will really disquiet your soul. You just never, you never find peace. But that's why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And you know what? Every day I got to go to my source. Every day. Every day I got to go to the source. It's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. And that's why the psalmist, everything I'm going to show you today is this constant lifting up my soul, lifting up my eyes, lifting up my heart, lifting up my ears, lifting up my hands. Because if I don't lift it up, the devil's going to kill it. Here's another one. Persecution, both spiritually and naturally. Oh, man, you're crazy. You, why you even believe in healing anymore? You prayed for that person and they died. Whew. Man, I prayed for people that have died. And it's so hard. Because I really had faith. I really, really, really believed that God would do it and it didn't happen. But you know what? I don't ever stop and I don't ever give up. And it doesn't matter what the devil says because the devil's a liar. And the devil says to me, it's pointless. It's God's not going to do it. He's a liar. God's not ever going to answer your prayers because he didn't do it the last 10 times, 100 times, 50 times. The delayed process and the no answers causes you to want to quit and give up and believe the lies and that it's pointless. The enemy always spiritually will persecute you. But then it gets even compounded when a family member says, you are crazy. Yeah. Oh, that, you pray in tongues? That's demonic. Or you're going to hell? I mean, I had a family member tell me when I had my long hair and earrings, I was going to hell. 
What's the matter with you? You go to that cult church, you, seven hour services and people slayed out in the spirit. Did you see what I saw on that live feed at midnight? And then I say, yeah, but did you see what I saw when that guy showed up at midnight because he was watching the live stream and got born again at 1220? I mean, shoot, if you saw Ed on the live stream, you would have been like... You would have said, you have straight lost your mind at that church. He was wild. But he got free. God set him free. And I made a place for it. Not caring what anybody had to say. And knowing somebody's going to say something. You start getting persecuted. People start telling you you're crazy and that stuff's not real. Then take the devil who's lying in your head. Remember the word. Constant confusion, cacophony in your head. That's why renewing your mind, meditating on the word, quoting it out loud. She's like, I don't hear God's voice. Start reading the Bible out loud. You'll hear God's voice. Pray the scriptures. And then I'll leave you with this last one. Then we'll move on to the really great news and all the answers. Selfishness. I think if we do anything out of selfishness, God's going to thwart your plans. And you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And God, is this you? Because even noble, good ideas that seem like God aren't. You all know I've been married before. I was 25. My first wife was 19. Everything was wrong about it. But I would have told you at the time, 100%, that God was telling me. It was God, but it was little g, me God, not big g, him God. And how many times when we want something so, so bad, the heart always justifies what the mind wants. And when you really want something, you will put God in that spot and say, man, I know it's the Lord, when all day long it wasn't God. And if I was getting good spiritual counsel, somebody would have said, run for your life. Multiple affairs. She had multiple affairs, abusive, violent, toxic from the beginning, built on a wrong foundation. We always want to justify... And many times, if not every time, it's selfish. That's why the Bible says do nothing out of selfish ambition, number one. And godliness and contentment equals great gain. So don't do anything outside of a godly standpoint or you'll never be content and you're never going to have the great gain. So we do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing. In this particular scripture, let's pull it back up. I'm just going to show you three quick things. Hope. What is hope? We've got to talk about hope in this. Many of you are hopeless or you're giving up hope. See, here's the thing. Here's the tricky thing about hope, right? Hope, if you can see it, is not hope. Did you know that? If you could see it, it's not hope. Here's the definition. It's an expectation not yet seen, but always having faith for. It's for someone or for something good to happen. It's standing on a promise not yet fulfilled. But when you complain, you just killed hope with an arrow right in its heart. Complaining is everything opposite of hope. So God had this promised land. He had all these provisions, all these destinies. But as soon as you started complaining, you were hopeless. So what does the writer say? Why are you disquieted? Why are you cast down? Number one, hope in God. You have... You cannot lose your hope. 
Even when, especially when you do not see what you're believing for. You have to stand on a promise. The next is praise. But watch this. There's a little tricky word there. It's called yet. The word yet in this context doesn't mean like I'm just going to do it in the future. Like tomorrow I'll praise him. What it means is I am now, I will tomorrow, and I will tomorrow. I'm going to yet keep doing. I'm going to always, always stay the course of praise. Now, why is praise important in the scripture? What is praise? First off, praise is giving the gratitude and thankfulness to him no matter what I'm facing. Like right now, my stomach is upset. I've been congested in my head. The Saharan dust, my chest, breathing stuff, whatever. I didn't feel good at all this morning. I, I haven't felt good for a little while now. But when I get in here, I understand I'm going to praise him. Because praise takes my eyes off me and puts them on him. And now instead of complaining, because what is praise? Thank you, God. Ooh, I feel like crap and all the lies are all around me. And I don't see the answers coming. And I can fill in all the blank. I bombed it and blew it last night. But I'm going to yet praise him. I'm going to get my hands up and surrender because praise is a position of surrender. It says it's not about you. And it says I'm going to take off any, because I can tell you right now, most of the time when we're not actively praising him, we're self-conscious and we're focused on ourselves and not on him. But I don't care how broken and messed up and jacked up you are. You get your hands up and surrender to the Lord because the only way you're going to get through it is to yet praise him through it. I don't see God doing something the way I think he should, but I'm getting my hands up. I don't know why it didn't happen the way that I thought it would, but I'm going to get my hands up. And the challenge is, is many of us go through all the right motions of reading our Bible and going to church, but you don't really praise him. No gratitude, no thankfulness, no honor. I know tons of people that they're nice Christians or good Christians, but they don't worship. You take praise and worship out of the equation, you're not going to make it. And then the last thing on this scripture is the help of his countenance. What is the help of his countenance? The word countenance in the Bible, the literal meaning of the word countenance is the word face. It literally means I'm going to get in his face because how do I know your countenance? By looking at your face. And I can tell you right now, when a lot of people aren't looking at the face of God, I can see it on your face. Now, I love you. I'm a good reader, and I'm a still, and I can tell, and I don't want you to fake it till you make it. Please do not do that. Come in jacked up, and your face can be all contorted. That's why I'm here. It's to love you and help you. It's why we pray for you. It's why we worship. But listen to me. Your face will never change until you get in his face. What's powerful about this scripture is the only answer first is the countenance and the face of God. But what most people do is when the going gets tough, we don't get in the face of God. Shame, condemnation, victim, work, value in the things of this world, Facebook posts, likes, look at me, look at me, look at me. And all the while, our countenance is so downcast behind the scenes. When God says, get in my face. Get in my face. Because the only way your countenance is going to change is when you get his countenance. Otherwise, I'm faking it. So you need a soul lift. Let's say I need a soul lift. Psalm 25 verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
The word lift up means that I'm going to literally carry, direct, and propel my mind, my will, and my emotions at him. That's what it means to lift up. You need a soul lift. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. So in this scripture, you have shame, accusations, feeling of defeat, and feeling like you're losing. Does anybody feel like you're losing? Does anybody feel like you're being defeated? That's how this writer felt. So what did the writer say? The writer said that trust is the key. It's based on the fact that God never failed you. This is different than hope. Hope. Trust is based on fact. He may not have done it the way that I thought. That person may not have lived when I prayed for them to. But God is still good, and he's never failed me, and he's never let me down. I'm not dictating my cir- God's faithfulness and goodness based on my circumstance. I'm dictating it based on who he is and how much he's changed my life. Because I know who I used to be. And I know I'd either be dead in prison, or I'd have tons of children out of wedlock, broken marriages everywhere, relationships everywhere. I'd I'd probably be living in Humboldt County, growing weed and going to dead shows. That's probably what I'd be doing. It'd be a terrible loss of life. It'd be a tragedy. And so trust is so important. Look what the psalmer said. No one that waits on you will be ashamed. Go back a verse. Verse 2, it says, I put, indeed, I put my trust in you. I put my trust in you. Psalm 86. And by the way, trust is the fact that God is able. Let's say this. He's able. He's, able. he's reliable. He's reliable. And, he's faithful and he's faithful to do what he said he would do. And if I don't trust God, guess what I'm doing? Pity party, giving up, flesh, porn, alcohol, drugs, relationships, work, money, toys. I like toys. I'd just be doubling up on my toys. And that's not what God wants. Psalm 86, verse 3 and 5. Be merciful to me, O Lord. Now, I'm going to show you this last thing, and we're going to pray for you. Catch these words, all right? There's two words in these, what I'm about to read, cry and call. I cry to you all day long. Verse 4, rejoice the soul of your servant. You know what it means for God to rejoice the soul? It literally means to make glad, because I'm not happy. Who's not, didn't even say I'm just not happy. Well, guess who's going to make you happy? And if you don't find your happiness first in the Lord, you will run around the mountain of discontent your entire life. You may seem good and happy for a moment, but mark my words. Mark my words. That's what happened in Psalm 73. Look at all those wealthy, rich people, man. They're, lo- they're rocking, they're loaded. They don't have any problems. And then the psalmist says, I've come to the Lord and washed my hand in innocence in vain. He said, and when I tried to understood this, I went crazy and I would have been unfaithful to an entire generation. Until, everybody say until. until. I stepped foot, I stepped foot. In, the in the sanctuary of God. You need a revelation. You need to lift your vision higher. That's what I love about seers in this church. Many times I wish I could live more in what the seers see. Because they're like in another dimension. I'm like, man, what planet are you on? And they're like, planet third heaven. Where are you at? 
And sometimes I just got to get into that zone. But notice this, verse five. I'm sorry, verse four. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. There it is again. For you, Lord, are what? And ready to what? And abundant in what? To all those who do what? I'm not going to get to finish this message, but I'm going to stop right there. The word call and cry in the, in the Hebrew is the word Korah. It's Jeremiah 33. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you don't know. There's this thing about call that if we don't employ in our daily lives of crying out to God, we get silent, introverted, we do all the right motions, but God wants to hear your voice. It literally means to make a declaration. Now, there's many scriptures where the psalmist talks about supplicating with God. What does supplication mean? It means I'm coming into agreement and I'm making a declaration about the situation. In the natural, everything seems to have fallen apart in this particular situation. But in the spirit, I see it and speak to it differently. But then I trust God no matter what the outcome is. That's called lordship. That's how you step into the more that God has for you. Because you're not complaining. Now, but there are days, there are times. And what I want you to know is I've told myself a lot today. Many, many a time I'm like, man, I just want to quit. I think to myself it'd be so much easier. I wouldn't have to worry about people sick and dying and broken marriages and singles spinning out and sleeping around and all kinds of stuff that just keeps me up at night. Children that don't have dads. Just focus on me or you know what, I'll just go start an orphanage or something or go serve at the orphanage. Screw this. I would be so unfaithful to generations and generations. This is a call of God on my life. And you have a call and you have a family and you have a purpose. But sometimes your soul's disquieted. And if I don't learn to cry out to the living God, God, I'm crying out, Lord. And then I got to really not worry about what other people think when I'm crying out. Because when I, as soon as I get loud, it's like, why do you have to be so loud? You didn't take all that. But in the Bible, hang on a second. In the Bible, there is a cry. It's there's cry and call and shout are all related. Sometimes it's a cry. And sometimes I'm crying when you don't see. Maybe a lot of times. Sometimes I'm crying out when it feels weird and awkward. And I'm alone. Thinking, who's watching? Nobody's watching. And sometimes it's in church. This is not going to be a quiet church. Now, I don't want to hype it and fabricate it. But I also know that when I'm desperate and I'm hurting, i got to lift up my voice. And what I want to say to all of you about this church is... When you cry out, one, I want you to cry out from authenticity inside your heart. Number two, keep it together in unity with us. Now, if God starts moving on you and you start crying out and it's the Lord, I'm going to let you cry out because you're in a safe place to cry out. And sometimes the worship team, man, we're going to be up here, you're going to hear Oscar, Jesus! And then you're going to hear a couple guys go, yeah! Woo! And you're going to hear me go, And that's the time. That's your cue. (laughs) All right. Cry out. Yeah. Cry out. Yeah. Cry out. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, something happened, right? It's like, as soon as I do that, I'm like, man, I'm starting to feel a little better up in this house. Right? Am I right? Let's just do it together. Ready? On three, let out a shout. One, two, three. Yeah! Now, see, all are smiling that had grumpy faces just five minutes ago. See? That's how that works. So there's, there's more to this, but I'm going to leave it at that. Today, if your soul is disquieted, somebody come and grab this. Oscar, come get this. Today, if your soul is disquieted, if you're downcast, I want you to start to take authority no matter where you've been because if you're born again, you have authority. If you're not born again, you need to give your life to Jesus. None of this is going to work without total surrender to him, okay? But when you surrendered, you enlisted in an army. You know that? You signed up for the military service. You're signed up. If you're born again, you enlisted yourself in an army. Right? And I don't want you deactivated. And I don't want any dishonorable discharges. I want you to stay the course. Come on. All of us are rowing together. No one is alone. You may feel alone. You may feel separate, but you're not. You're part of a body all over the world. It's called the firstborn church of God that's come to the mountain that can be touched. It can be touched. Everybody say that. It can be touched. So today, if you've been depressed, clamor, head noise, your soul's downcast, hopeless. You know, I didn't get to this part of the message, but there's a a psalm where the psalmist says, my spirit is failing. You know what happens when your spirit when your spirit starts to fail? Suicide. We'd <laughs> be better off if I wasn't even here. Yeah. And some of you feel that way. You think nobody would miss you, and it's pointless. Sometimes it comes to that, but God always has an answer. And he always speaks love and value, loving kindness and goodness. Mercy in the morning, the psalmist said. Show it to me, God. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.